Welcome to another edition of Career Education Report. I am Jason Altmeyer, and today we're going to talk about apprenticeships, a topic that is on the minds of many people who are interested in the workforce and the pipeline of talent into high-demand jobs. And we have someone today who is more well-known and more of a thought leader on this issue, perhaps, than anyone in the country, Dr. Robert Lerman. And he, among other things, got his PhD in economics at MIT. He has affiliations with a number of organizations, most prominently the Urban Institute. He's a professor emeritus of economics at American University. He does work with the Institute for Labor Economics in Germany. And he's a founder of the American Institute for Innovative Apprenticeship, and he's chair of Apprenticeships for America. So I can think of no better person to talk about the subject of apprenticeships than Dr. Lerman. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I wanted to first ask you, based upon your experience, you have decades of writing and thought leadership, not just on apprenticeships, but on workforce issues. You've held positions in the United States Congress, in presidential administrations, at the National Academy of Science, Department of Labor. So I just wanted to ask you something we talk about on this program quite a bit, is the issues facing the workforce development in America and that paradox that exists between the need that has been identified in many high-demand professions and the fact that there are still millions of Americans who don't either unemployed or underemployed or, or don't feel like they have the right job fit? Uh, where's the disconnect there? What, what's the biggest issue? Well, the biggest issue is that we have what I would call an academic-only approach to skill development. By that, I mean after high school, almost all the government funding uh, for skill development goes to two-year uh, colleges and four-year colleges. And then the private sector is left to provide more specific training that's relevant to careers. And for the majority of people, because only 35 to 40% attain a BA degree or uh, an associate's degree, it varies between men and women, uh, with women achieving a higher rate of degree completion. We just have not developed adequate routes to skill development and careers that many other countries have developed. And we've shortchanged that. Part of the reason is also that our workforce development system uh, grew up around the time when no one thought we needed a broad human capital uh, initiative, but only needed something for the least advantaged. And it always it came out of this notion of a second chance system for people who were doing well in the main system. But the main system has a flaw. And that flaw is, as I've described, an overemphasis on academic learning, not enough emphasis on learning by doing and combining the two. And when you talk about learning by doing, I think we're talking at least in part about apprenticeships. And again, you being a national thought leader on this topic, spending most of your time writing and thinking about that topic. Maybe first start by just defining 
how you view apprenticeships. What, what, what does it mean? Many of us, when we think about apprenticeships, think about union apprenticeships, uh, trade unions and so forth. But it, the definition goes well beyond that. Well, how do you define apprenticeship? Well, first, I always say that apprenticeship is a mode of learning that emphasizes learning by doing, but it's a structured program of work-based learning and academic learning that leads to full competency in a profession. The profession might be an accountant, an accounting tech. It might be a nurse. It might be a carpenter or an electrician. And it can be uh, almost any occupation. And in fact, the apprenticeship systems in other countries demonstrate that apprenticeship can be a mode by which people learn a wide range of occupations. An apprenticeship is also a job. It's a job that employers pay for. Ideally, the apprentices begin working and adding value on day one. Now, they don't add the same value as a skilled worker uh, in the profession they're aiming to learn, but they help in other ways, uh, ideally in ways that would require the employer to hire someone else to do that work. And gradually, as they continue working at the organization, they would rise to more and more skilled positions, skilled tasks, and uh, get paid more as they, as they do that. So that's the, that's the overall philosophy. There was a program called the Industry Recognized Apprenticeship Program, which you've written a lot about. Can you talk about what that was and how it played out? Well, the origin of it is partly that the U.S. apprenticeship system is too complex and has a lot of barriers that employers either don't want to deal with or are difficult to deal with. And that's called the registration system. Half the states have their own state apprenticeship agencies where they decide what's going to be registered and what isn't. And the other half resides in the Federal Office of Apprenticeship. Uh, even those applications for registration could take a few months or more. The idea of the industry-recognized apprenticeship was to kind of streamline it, allow a number of private ent entities, like accrediting agencies, that still would be vetted by the Labor Department once, but then once vetted, would be able to call what employers are offering industry-recognized apprenticeships. The truth is that we have a lot of unregistered apprenticeships anyway, that employers are, there's no copyright on the word apprenticeship. Employers are free to start a training program that they call an apprenticeship, even if they're not registered officially with a federal or state office of apprenticeship. But the mindset has to change in government because the apprenticeship offices sometimes think they're doing the employer a favor by registering them. But in fact, it's the government that's getting the favor that the employer has decided to go with a, a registered program rather than uh, simply do one on their own. Then what happened was the industry recognized apprenticeship idea became a, a, a very big partisan battle in which those who opposed it said that it was going 
to reduce quality. This is even before it had been tested in any way. It was the idea, it came into the idea of privatization, not having a strong enough government role. And I must say it wasn't defended all that well, but in any event, it became partisan and not surprisingly, the new administration, a democratic administration, closed it down. And I don't want to preempt your answer, but as I recall the discussion on the issue at the time, and then most recently with the new administration, I believe that the unions had a role in that discussion about quality and so forth. Am I right about that? Well, yes, they did. But the places where union apprenticeships predominate, which are in the building trades and even a subpart of the building trades, the industrial and commercial construction trades, these IRAPs, as they were called, industry-recognized apprenticeship programs, were not really going to touch those fields. Nonetheless, yes, the unions did oppose IRAPs, but other public policy groups opposed them as well. Is it more a matter of the quality argument being an argument about competition for apprenticeship programs that are run by? Well, I think there was a fear that the IRAPs would call anything an apprenticeship, like something that was maybe only a few months of training and that it might downgrade the whole reputation of what an apprenticeship should be. But as I mentioned, people can do that anyway. And you wrote about six months ago a a white paper called The State of Apprenticeship in the U.S., A Plan for Scale. And you offered a number of, I think, very instructive opinions in there, one of which was a proposal to improve the quality of apprenticeship programs through the federal government by introducing measures to assess the skills of the apprentice post-program along with a series of, of other recommendations. Can, can you talk about that one recommendation in particular and why you think it's so important? Right now, we don't have really third-party assessments of whether the apprentices who went through the program really achieved the skills that are appropriate for that profession. Now, of course, we don't have that in universities either. So it's a lot to ask apprenticeship programs to do it, what universities uh, don't do. In the UK, they have an organization called the Federation of Awarding Bodies, and those awarding bodies actually uh, provide what would be the equivalent of the two-year degree to their uh, further education college students. And so they also are in the business of what they call their endpoint assessments. The Swiss have them, the Germans have them, and these enhance the reputation of the apprenticeship and are sort of as a kind of quality control. But we have a deeper problem, which is that the skill standards, we don't have common skill standards for the occupations. That would mean that you have to have some of these standards against which to measure uh, how well the apprentice meets those standards. If you have standards all over the place, then it becomes much more difficult for the endpoint assessments. Now, I would say one of the advantages uh, for the employer of apprenticeship is that the apprentice is learning to be skilled 
in a particular occupation, that is generic occupational skills, but in the context of the establishment of the company's factory or office or business. So they're learning, let's say, uh, welding in the context of the welding that's done in that organization, or they're learning to be a logistics person in the context of that organization. So you do want to retain that uh, contextual element, but it would be desirable to have more broad-based skill standards. I like the fact that in your writing about this, you talk about how companies could agree to these competency-based occupational frameworks in exchange for faster approval of, of the apprenticeship. Yes, and I've, I'm proposing an idea which I'm calling safe harbor approvals because if you did that, you could just send in your registration like you send in a computer registration and just tell the government this is what you're doing. You're going to follow all the rules that are specified. And if they want to audit you at the end or at any point, they can send out some sample audits. But that would be, to me, a, a much better system. I would, because I'm an incrementalist, <laughs> allow it to coincide with the existing system. So if you wanted to register under the existing system and wait several months, but have maybe a somewhat more tailored, still standard, you could do that, or you could follow the broader skill standards and reg have your approval immediate. And you talk a lot about, when you think about these competency-based occupational frameworks, the reason why it's important just from a data and record-keeping perspective and, and understanding the outcomes and whether it was successful. But you also argue that you can improve the quality and consistency of apprenticeship programs and how different organizations can use those type of frameworks. Can you talk a little bit more about that? If you look at the skill listings that a typical program has specified and gotten approved, it might be eight years old. It might be 10 years old. It might be a very comprehensive list, or it might be a, a shorter list. It happened to have been approved at a particular time. The offices of apprenticeship will seek out advice from, from other employers, but still, uh, they might not be that good at the time. Whereas if you have an ongoing system of full occupational standard development, you can have both a higher quality and a more standardized system, as is done in most other countries with robust apprenticeship programs. What countries, for those who wanted to learn more, do you feel could serve as the best model, given the American system and just the inertia of how we've progressed over time? What, what other countries could we look at to emulate if we move forward with more apprenticeships? We have the Swiss and German and Austrian systems start young and do have standards, industry standards, and actually the wages start quite low. And then we have the UK system. One of the nice things about that is that it's in English, and they have uh, what they call the Institute for Apprenticeship and Technical Education. And there you can find on their website skill standards for about 500 plus occupations. But there's 
increasing amounts written about apprenticeship and uh, come to the Urban Institute website and just Google Urban Institute apprenticeship and you'll find a lot of things, including about 10 papers evaluating the American Apprenticeship Initiative, which provided funding to 45 grantees around the country to stimulate apprenticeship. That's good timing because as we close here, I was going to reference your work at the Urban Institute and recommend that people go to that website and and see what you've been up to. I also wanted to highlight you're the chair of Apprenticeships for America and you're the founder of American Institute for Innovative Apprenticeship. And just as we close, can you talk a little bit more about how folks could find out information about those organizations? I would say the more active one is Apprenticeships for America. We are a nonprofit. We have a website, apprenticeshipsforamerica.org. We're trying to do three things. We're trying to advocate for apprenticeships at scale. We're building a network of apprenticeship intermediaries, those organizations that work with employers to start programs and organize them. And then we're doing research and policy work as to what kind of backing, research backing, examples from other countries can affect and improve our policy. That has been Dr. Robert Lerman. Thank you very much for being with us. And most importantly, thank you for the incredible work that you're doing in the area of apprenticeships. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Career Education Report. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at career.org and follow us on Twitter at CQED. That's at C-E-C-U-E-D. Thank you for listening.